Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Wednesday. First with yesterday's news, I and Glenn ZB, we're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, what happens when you crash into a drone? We'll find out shortly. Uh, we should cash be a basic human right and uh, growing your own pot. I know, it's all interesting stuff this morning. Uh, but first off, let's, let's talk about this uh, bus strike, shall we? Now, the problem with the split shift means, as the union says, yes, they may be working officially eight hours of the day, but they're away because of work for up to 14 hours of the day. And therefore, they believe that uh, you get an eight-hour working day on a split shift as a bus driver. Really, you're getting a 14-hour day. When you start comparing the wages and um, you know, dividing it by 14, you start talking about minimum wage rather than a, a bus driver's wage. And they say it's not good enough. So I want to ask you if you have been part of a split shift regime, and is it as difficult as they say? And how do you actually get through it? And what do you do to get through it? So, according to the OECD's Better Life Index for 2017, the average New Zealander working full-time gets around 15 hours a day for personal care and leisure. And in that time, they eat, they sleep, they socialise, they do their hobbies. The other nine hours, well, eight hours of it is working and an hour is is travelling. According to this, and comparing this with what bus drivers or anybody on a split shift have to do, then people on split shifts are shortchanged by five hours a day, suggesting they work some of the longest hours in the country, but not by choice. Uh, Could be worse. Could be recording podcasts at nine minutes to five in the morning, I suppose. Is that worse? No, of course it's not worse. Um, I'd tell you what would be worse would be uh, being in a hospital given the state they are apparently in, according to a recent report. So it comes as something of a surprise to hear that uh, the Starship Hospital is included in the, in the, shall we say, poorly status, the poor status of uh, other hospitals, including Auckland. Now, Auckland Hospital is, correct me if I'm wrong, but is the lead training hospital in the country. Is it not? It is as far as I'm aware. It's the lead training hospital. Now, if its facilities are as, well, as lacking as we are led to believe, then we're surely in trouble. That takes me back to um, root cause. Could I be so bold as to suggest the root cause for this is the way the system is structured through management? Top-heavy, top-heavy management too much money going into management, too many people in management, and they're, uh, to, to flip it round, they're getting paid too much money, both as individuals and collectively, and less money going into doing what hospitals are supposed to do. Now, if you're in hospital management, you might, uh, you might take issue with me, but that's, that's the impression that I've got. It's the one I've had for quite some time. But nevertheless, it still surprises me that this has um, uh, risen to the surface uh, at the moment, and um, and there's a number of hospitals that simply don't don't measure up. What does it say? What it says, and I hate to say this, what it says is um, confirms something that somebody said years and years and years ago. 
If you think New Zealand's a first world country, the first place you're going to notice it is in the health system. You know, I used to think all those people who, you know, when they complain that too much money is being spent on, you know, justice, justice summits uh, where no victims are invited and that we should be spending the money on hospitals. Maybe they're right. Maybe we should be spending the money on hospitals. All right. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, or some people go out and spend their money on drones and then fly them into aeroplanes. Here's a bloke who had a close call. Describe the moment you realised the drone was there. Uh, caught the um, light on it uh, out of the corner of my eye just as it came level with the helicopter. and We only saw it for a second or so, but... Uh, long enough to recognise what it was and uh, give ourselves a bit of a fright. How big was the drone? How dangerous is this? Um, difficult to say exactly how big it was. It, uh, it, it looked to be one of the sort of the standard hobby type uh, drones and uh, regarding the danger, uh, potentially very dangerous um, depending exactly if it had hit us, um, exactly where it hit. Um, could do anything from sort of minor damage to uh, something fairly catastrophic. Yeah, but if it got caught up in the rotor, it'd be all over, wouldn't it? Uh, quite likely, yes. I mean, if it hit the uh, the main rotors or the tail rotor, there's a, a reasonable chance it could have uh, yeah. done enough damage to take the helicopter out of the sky tail, or the windscreen, yeah, it could have come through. Tail rotor more so, right? Uh, it's, prob- it's probably more vulnerable, yes. So they're not meant to be, these drones are not meant to be flying at 400 metres, are they? No, absolutely not. A um, standard um, um, rules and laws for the drones, um, you're limited to 120 metres is the maximum height. So this is quite a serious thing. What have you done? What can be done about this? Um, well, we um, we have a standard um, safety reporting system, so it has been reported to the Aviation Authority, although unfortunately um, almost impossible for them to uh, track down who was um, operating it. Um, really all we can do is try and educate people. Um, a lot of the time I think it's people aren't deliberately doing things um, dangerously. They just don't realise what the rules are and what the consequences are of breaking them. That guy's name is James Taylor. I got quite excited when I saw that Larry had interviewed James Taylor. But don't get me wrong, I mean, a helicopter pilot, that's pretty exciting. I've had a few close calls with drones, I mean, mostly either just at my house. Why are they flying over my house? Or, um, annoyingly, at the beach the other day, in the sunshine. I'm beginning to think that we should be able to have an open carry law where we can just have a gun and shoot at drones when they annoy us. Um, That seems reasonable, don't you think? Hey, um, should we be allowed to be paid in cash? I mean, if we want. Because... Is it a basic human right? I don't really know what this is about. Tim Dow sounds like he knows what he's talking about. What does it mean, though, to be blocked out of the banking system? The banking system is the money system now. If you're not banked up and carded up, how do you function? How do you get paid? Apart from the odd shonky builder, I don't know anyone who gets paid in cash these days. Are you meant to carry a big wad of cash around as well when you go shopping? How do you pay your bills? Most of the big utilities want a direct debit or a direct credit from you. Even the phone companies, the power, your rates. Try getting the IRD to give you cash when you've got a refund coming. Now, I don't want to go down the whole cashless society track. We do need to be afraid of that, but it's a separate subject. Think about it. How many FPOS transactions or credit card swipes will you make today? Will it be three, five, ten? How many times will you use cash? Once or twice. I don't necessarily think this is a human rights thing, 
but the obligation to provide access to the system, well, there's no reason we can't make that a rule for anyone who wants to be a bank here. However, there's an even easier way to go about it when you have a state-owned bank. Job for Kiwi Bank. I don't really care how I get paid as long as I get paid. Um, and I, I like that will hopefully keep happening as long as nobody finds out what it is that I actually do around here. Uh, so don't tell them. I'm going to finish up here. Uh, maybe one way to get paid is growing your own cannabis. No, hang on. Surely not. In 2020, we'll have a referendum on marijuana. Fair enough. Boom. It was one of the bottom lines for the Greens. And it seems as though that we will be able to probably legalise it, yada, yada, yada. And we'll know that when it happens, things might change or we know people might get involved and try and steer the whole result in that. But it seems like people, there's an appetite for, 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 making, it, um, for making it legal. The question I've asked you to tell me, because it's something I've never thought about, if it becomes legal, would you grow your own for your own personal use? We're all king gardeners. And I can't think the other things. I mean, we don't grow our own tobacco, but it's kind of raspy. We don't really brew our own beer, although a lot of us probably do. There's stills. There's brew kits. If they make marijuana legal, will you grow your own? And would you put a couple of plants in the hothouse, for when, even if you didn't want to imbibe yourself, for when friends come round? See, my major problem with this being illegalised is that it would just be another thing that I can't grow. It's like lemon trees. I've just never, ever had the knack. Um, for some reason, I cannot grow a lemon tree. And marijuana will be the same. Everybody else will have all these cool, luscious pot plants. And mine will all be sort of sad, withered up things. So instead of making me feel good, it'll make me feel stink. So that's why I don't want it to be legalised. I am Glenn ZB. Uh, that has been News Talk ZB for Wednesday. See you back here again tomorrow for more.